0: Recently, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, released a technical assistance document which laid out certain confines employers will need to operate within if they're using artificial intelligence during the hiring process. There have already been a few cases where unintended discrimination affected some companies' hiring initiatives. To hear about them and learn more about the document itself, I spoke with Carol Mioskov. She's legal counsel for the EEOC.
1: EESC has had a focus and an initiative on artificial intelligence and the overlap with civil rights and EEO law for a while now. We held a public meeting on the implications for employment in January 2023. And overall, big picture, what we've been hearing from employers and from vendors of these AI systems as used in employment is that they really want some guidance, want some guardrails, want some input in terms of how the established EEO EEO standards for discrimination and selection and other employee monitoring, etc., how that all will be applied to the AI technologies that are being used now. So it was in response to that general need that we certainly heard from stakeholders who were reaching out to us, employers and vendors, as well as the information that we gathered in our public hearing in January 2023 on this topic, and you can find that on our website under About EEOC with links to all the testimony, that we decided that it would be really helpful to put out. A short, straightforward technical assistance document, which is what this document is, that establishes that when you use AI technology, which has a lot of promise in a lot of ways, the um, established EEO standards for assessing whether or not it's discriminatory under Title VII will apply to these tools. So in a sense, the highest level point made by our piece is that when AI is used in a selection procedure uh, for employment, the established framework of the uniform guidelines on employee selection procedures to apply. And by, by making that clear, it's sort of clear that a basic rubric of rules then apply to determine if there is a uh, certainly disparate impact that might be illegal in using these tools. Um, And I think the first big question that was was being asked by stakeholders was, do the established standards under the uniform guidelines apply in this arena when AI is at play? And the answer to that, according to our piece, is yes. So that's the highest level. The sort of next level down in terms of detail is that the uniform guidelines have something that people colloquially call the four-fifths rule. And what that means is if people with a particular characteristic that's protected under the EEO laws are selected at a rate that's less than four-fifths of the majority group, then it's likely that there was a sort of disproportionately negative exclusionary effect. And that's important in a sense, in terms of what it does and what it doesn't do. What it does is it is a rule of thumb for assessing impact. What it doesn't do is definitively in any way, shape or form decide if if an impact is discriminatory or not. And That is really important because we had started to hear about folks saying, well, our tools are EEO compliant. We've passed the four-fifths rule. Really, there's unfortunately a lot more and a lot more complicated than that because even if there is an impact, first of all, the four-fifths rule is a rule of thumb. You look at statistical significance. But more importantly than that, the issue is whether the tool that's having an impact is actually predictive of success on the job. And that's the job related, consistent with business necessity legal standard under Title VII. That's the key, is whether it's predictive of success on the job. And there are just different steps in the analysis. If it does appear that there was an impact, statistically significant impact, then you go ahead and you look at whether it is predictive of success on the job. And that's the heart of the issue. And I would say there's indeed one more step is, was it predictive of success on the job? And did the employer actually reject an alternative that might be less discriminatory? So those are the kind of substantive considerations you look at, and that's really the bottom line point of this document.
0: Got it. And so it's who was involved, I guess, is my next question is, was it um, obviously the legal angle came from your side of things? But did you also include the folks who could tell you what are the capabilities of these new hiring tools that utilize AI in their purpose?
1: Well, we certainly, we did this in response to hearing from a lot of stakeholders, employers and vendors about questions of whether these standards even apply to the tools that use AI. So we were responding to certainly that concern. We were responding to what was heard at the um, the public hearing in January. And we were responding to what we were seeing in some of our own matters, coming forward in terms of we have some matters, some charges that were settled with public conciliation. For example, um, I guess this spring, obviously a case DHI. DHI operated a job search website for technology professionals called dice.com. And they entered a conciliation agreement uh, with EEOC because they were using software that was excluding Americans. Um, So it was National Origin Discrimination Against Americans because they had some pretty straightforward algorithms that included searching for discriminatory keywords, such as they were looking affirmatively for H-1B or Visa that appeared near the words only or must in job postings. And that's what they did. They selected for people which with H-1B visas and thereby excluded Americans. So this was one of our first uh, sort of public conciliations in this area.
0: Got it. And, you know, getting bias out of AI and machine learning has been a larger issue overall. Hearing from stakeholders such as that company, have they said how tall of a task it is to actually make sure that these algorithms don't discriminate against anybody? You know, even if it's accidentally and, you know, obviously not on purpose.
1: Right. Well, if you look at the conciliation statement in this instance, what the settlement um, was somewhat straightforward because it was basically an algorithm and they agreed to sort of scrape the algorithm for these search tools that were like, you know, H1B, you know, within two words of only that kind of thing, you know, very basic kind of computer programming. And they agreed to sort of what they called scrape their software for that to change it so it wouldn't select positively only for people with H-1Bs. And, you know, so that's a fairly straightforward solution. That said, I'm not going to pretend that this is simple, that this is easy. It's not. I think everyone, vendors, employers, the government, everyone is working to to think about how to approach this and how to most efficiently monitor it. And, you know, it will will not be straightforward and simple or else there wouldn't, you know, there wouldn't be sort of the level of interest and questions that are happening now as we're all essentially as a society, I think, adjusting to AI and sophisticated algorithms And there was a joint statement that our chair signed with other major agencies involved in this effort that sort of sets forth a sort of cross-government approach of really trying to understand these issues and work with stakeholders as we all work to see how we can maximize the positive aspects of this technology, which are no doubtedly there, while avoiding the negative downsides or the unintended consequences. We have a, a litigation that we filed fairly recently the against a group called iTutor, little i hyphen tutor. And it's a case that, it, again, involves sort of software algorithmic selection of applicants. And that's an instance where the software was just expressly programmed to, I think, exclude Women, you, women over like 55 and men over 60, just straight out, straight away. So I think that's in the early stages of litigation now. Uh, so there's sort of no substantive result, but that's, you know, that's a straightforward example. And I would say that I think when we say AI, uh, I know at least my my brain immediately goes to perhaps the most complex and sophisticated software and sort of black hole that I feel like, oh, we'll never understand. But what, you know, EEOC is finding in some charges is that, you know, algorithms like anything else can very straightforwardly be used improperly.
0: Carol Mioskoff is legal counsel with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership
2: podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA.
3: be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms.
2: Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made
3: aware of a quote by Horace Mann who was a great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama and there was no law
2: Influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State. It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I
3: saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was, but my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show